Episode 40 is an episode that struck a chord with me and I know will all of you. I was honored to be joined by Connie and Neil Waxman. Connie, back in January of 2014, was given news that would be considered probably some of the worst news any human being can, can be given. When she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer on a cold January day and the doctors told her she had a year to live. Flash ahead to middle of 2018, four and a half years later, Connie was here to share her story with Neil, her husband, and their journey of persistence, perseverance, hope, positivity, and courage, and talk about all of the different phases of her treatments, recoveries, her mindset, her outlook, the positivity that she kept with her through some of the darkest times in her life. And she's still here today. She's still battling. And I was just so grateful that they were here to share their story and shed light into the process for anyone that's going through this or anyone that has a loved one going through this. They share a vast amount of knowledge. So if you know anybody going through this, please share the episode, have them listen, have them contact Neil and see what they can do to fight this deadly disease, this this terrible disease, and find ways to extend their life and beat the odds uh, like Connie has. So without further ado, let me get out of the way and sit back, relax, and please welcome Connie and Neil Waxman. The Optimal Life. Uh, we are, we're rolling, so just, just like we were saying before as we, we just started, first off, thank you guys for being here. And I know you guys have a tremendous... A tremendously um, challenging and emotional and powerful story. And as Neil was just saying, this is like normal for you guys. So uh, if we could ultimately touch more than one person at a time through this medium, I hope you get those same phone calls now that you just were telling me about where someone's calling you a, a year later and saying, hey, thank you so much for your advice and for guiding me down the right path. I was able to cure myself and get help and, and those kind of things. So... First and foremost, thanks for being here. Well, you guys are some you. of my, my most favorite people in the world, so this is special for me. And um, as I was telling you as we just as we just started, I started this podcast to um, draw inspiration from people from all walks of life. Um, some of it's amazingly business-oriented, some of it's wellness, some of it's bit, uh, uh, personal development and growth, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you guys have a uh, an amazing, amazingly unique story, and I wanted to learn more about it. And I'm really just a, grateful for you willing to come here and share it with everybody. So, take us back, if you would, to when when the first time it was that you re- might have been concerned that there was maybe some type of issue um, from a physical standpoint. Okay. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for inviting us to be here and sharing our story. Um, this started. Back in um, the fall of 2013, if you can believe it, and it started with a back pain that was sort of new to me, and I had just coincidentally started a new exercise class, so I thought, oh, I must be doing something wrong in this exercise class that's hurting my back, and I would go to the instructor and we'd modify some things, and it didn't get better, and um, maybe about a month later, I started getting stomach pains every time I ate. And I still, I was, you know, 56 years old. I was otherwise perfectly healthy. I never imagined that I was going to get a cancer diagnosis. Um, 
you know, I was, I'd never been overweight. I exercised, I ate right. I, you know, saw my doctor for physicals. I saw my dentist twice a year. I was doing everything you're supposed to do to stay healthy. Right. Um, and then the third thing that happened that really alerted me was um, I started losing weight. And so as I said, it was the fall. It was right after the holidays when you don't necessarily expect to be losing weight. And I thought, hmm, unexplained weight loss, back pain, stomach aches. This is enough to take me to the doctor. So I saw my doctor and uh, they ordered a CAT scan, which revealed a mass on my pancreas, which was pretty shocking. Right. Um, and um, I mean, you know, it took, you know, it takes a while to wrap your head around that when your doctor tells you that. Um, so I, cool. um, I uh, let's see, what do we do next? We, well, I, think, uh, I think you should talk about the day that, it, that you found out, that we found out. Okay. <laughs> um, the day the doctor called with the CAT scan result? No, the, the appointment that we had. Oh, okay, yeah. So um, I, we had an appointment with the surgeon because I was pretty sure that I was just going to have surgery, they'd take it out, and I'd be okay. <laughs> I was kind of right. naive, I guess. I didn't know that much about it. But um, when we got to the doctor's office, the surgeon revealed to us that this mass, although I was stage three, which meant that it hadn't metastasized to any neighboring organs, thankfully, it was wrapped around my superior mesenteric artery, which made me inoperable. And the message we got was pretty bleak. The surgeon said, you know, you, you're not a candidate for surgery. You can try chemo, it might help you, might shrink the tumor, but you have to weigh your quality of life meaning the chemo's tough and might not be worth it. And she basically, she came right out and said, you probably have less than a year to live. I'm really sorry. And this was just a few months into uh, you having those feelings? Is that, yeah. is that right? Yeah, this yeah. was January. So now it was January of 2014. January now, So okay. it was, you know, it took me a couple months to, you know, like sort of live with this back pain and <laughs> yeah. It took me a while to get, well, get to the Because you would never expect that. No, exactly, exactly. What did you think it was? What was the, just... <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know. I thought I was, like everybody else, I went online, I was like back pain with stomach aches, and I thought maybe it was gallbladder, because mm -hmm. that was something that popped up. I thought, oh, maybe I, maybe I need my gallbladder removed. Um, <laughs> pancreatic cancer didn't Last pop into my thought. head. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, the, it, this isn't, uh, the, the, the tumors are actually pretty slow growing. And Connie, when she would ride in my car, the seats would always cause back pain. And that went on for a couple of years. And so she probably had the tumor beginning then, and that was pressing on it mm -hmm. uh, in those cars, the car seat. And right. I just blamed his car. It didn't happen in my car. <laughs> That's so, weird. Yeah. 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 So it's those little things because. I was doing some research before this, of course, and, and from the things that I read, it says that pancreatic cancer is one of the hardest ones to detect until almost it's too late. Yeah, well, that's the problem with it. It doesn't really present until it's pretty advanced, uh -huh. and that's why it's pretty deadly. The only way it would be detected is if you had a, a, a CAT scan. And if you hadn't had a CAT scan, which why would you have a CAT scan, right. uh, you know, then you don't know. There are, however, blood marker tests that are early indicators that most people don't have. In fact, no, it's, not, it's not part of a normal physical, but anybody who has pancreatic cancer in their history, uh, family members, 
should get this test. It's called a CA199, and it's probably a $50 test you get when you get a physical. Maybe the insurance wouldn't pay for it because the, because you know you're not uh, at risk, but it's a great early indicator. Uh huh. So so this was back in January now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at this point, when you get this news, and the doctor says, to, so what does the doctor say to you? <laughs> so you said it was bleak. Can you go into like? Yeah. What they well, said? It was, well, the, the most bleak thing the surgeon said was that you probably have less than a year to live. Mm. And you know, <laughs> that was uh, quite a shock. I, I at that point I asked, well, what about chemo to shrink it? And the surgeon said, you could do that. It might give you another year. Statistics will tell you that the outcome will be the same. You have to make a quality of life decision. Um, wow. And then she said, "I'm sorry," and that was the last thing. Yeah. And we turned around and walked out. And that was just one cold day in January, January 2014. It was yeah. a cold, snowy day. Mm-hmm. We got in our car and drove back home. So yeah. t- t- tell us, if you could, what the um, emotions are like at that moment, that day as you're driving home. What, what do you guys, do you, do, do you talk to each other <laughs> or do you just stare out the window? What is that like? I think that drive home was pretty quiet, honestly. Um, it's almost like you're in another world, you know, you don't, you don't know what to say to each other. It doesn't seem real. It's hard to wrap your head around it. You're, you're frightened. You're a little bit angry. You're, you know, you're worried. You're thinking about your kids. You're, you know, all these sorts of things, things you want to live for. (laughs) Um, but we didn't stay in that state of mind for very long. And I don't know why, but we, um, we decided Let's see an oncologist about chemotherapy. Let's take our shot, see what can happen. Mm-hmm. And um, well, you have the mindset, Neil, right? That I'm not going to accept this. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a wrestler. I still coach wrestling. Uh-huh. All right, and so that's just uh, no is not acceptable. <laughs> and uh, and when we drove home. I would I said to her, well, we'll find a solution to it. I didn't know if we would, but I would certainly go to the wall and figure out if we do if we could. And the first thing that I did. I mean, what do you do? You're not an expert in this. I go online and look at U.S. News and World Report best cancer hospitals. I mean, it's ridiculous. Really, yeah. That <laughs> yeah. That's where it starts. Makes sense. But then you just start drilling down. You have to be your own advocate. Uh, you have to know what questions to ask. Uh, the, onco- the oncologist that we have two are both great. They have other patients too. So you have to become an expert in it. And the people who do improve their probability of surviving. And I just never gave up and kept finding places and we got different opinions and we ultimately wound up at Johns Hopkins. And if anybody who has pancreatic cancer, that's my recommendation because they have a multidisciplinary clinic where you get a complete look in two days and they make recommendations no matter where you get your treatment. I mean, we were treated oncology in Cleveland, but we were also, we were, surgery was in, uh, in Baltimore. We knew we had to find a surgeon, so I you just had to drill down to find cutters, and the best cutters. It was easy to figure that out. Really, we found there were two, one at uh, at uh, at Presbyterian Hospital in New York, and one in Baltimore, and we we saw them both, and both would do the surgery, and both were competent. Baltimore had more research; they had a more research bent, and ultimately that paid off because Connie was in a, a stereotactic radiation trial before surgery. What was it? What was it about the doctors in Cleveland that they wouldn't 
do what you were looking for them to do? Um, that because it's just too high risk. I asked that question to the doc, the surgeon. The surgeon in Baltimore knew the very, very competent surgeon at the hospital where we were uh, being treated. And I said, why doesn't, what, I mean, he, he could do the surgery. Why doesn't he do the surgery? He said, because the, you know we're experts in it. They're not doing the risky stuff. You know, and and you, there are lots of studies out there to show you, you got to go where, where the most surgeries have been done. And this guy had done almost three thousand. So he said, we're, "We'll we'll take the risk. We'll do the stuff that's risky. There's nothing we haven't seen." Right. The reason I chose that that doctor is because I asked him, "If the chemo doesn't work, would you still do the surgery?" And he said, "Yes." And that's all I wanted to know because we weren't gonna, you know, we weren't gonna live uh, a, a short life, a short painful life. We would go. And have surgery and take our risk there. Absolutely, it's already the, the the odds were. I mean, they were saying you guys didn't have any time anyways. Right. So right. you're going. We're going to go for whatever. Right. Whatever. The, do whatever, whatever it, it is. Right. Whatever it takes. So when that surgeon said he would actually do the surgery, then although he said I don't want to, it'd be high risk. I'd rather do some chemo and see if we can get this tumor to shrink. That was our first glimmer of hope, mm-hmm. because we were just like, wow, he didn't say inoperable. You know, he gave us a little bit of hope. And I can't underestimate how valuable hope is for anybody going through a cancer diagnosis. Um, You can't give up. You have to believe that you can beat this. And um, he helped us believe that. And that was huge. So we get get phone calls from friends who refer us to strangers because they're, they're their friends. And I just did that yesterday. I spoke with a woman yesterday who'd been diagnosed the day before. And the, the thing that I could give her was hope. She felt so much better after talking to me that there can be a game plan, that this can work, and it has worked, and, uh, and, and where to go. Uh, and she just was, there was a real sense of relief after I hung up with her. No, that's, that's incredible. Um, backtracking just a bit, the day that you found out from the doctor in Cleveland in January, mm-hmm. you drive home. Mm-hmm. You have to tell the, the news to the boys, right? Yes. Is that the same time that you tell them? And can you shed light into how you told them and what's the reaction from your sons? I think Neil told them. Yeah. Um, maybe you want to take your, that. Your, um, your kids only, everyone asks, you know, how are your kids doing? Well, your kids only doing as well as you do. All right. So it's a reflection of how you are. And, you know, you don't always give all the details to them because they're not around and they can't do anything about it. Uh, you know, so we, and we did that with Connie's parents and, uh, you know, we just didn't want them to worry and it just made it harder for us. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the boys were as good as we were through. What, it, what was really great is we got home and were surrounded by our family, my brother, his wife, uh, Connie's uh sister and her partner and they had brought food in and we had a, a, a really kind of, a kind of fun dinner mm-hmm. it was and it was such a relief really? to have some kind of normalcy wow yeah it was I, I often think back to that night and if they hadn't oh. arrived I'm not sure how we would have gotten this through is the that same night the same night we came home from that doctor's visit mm-hmm. and they all they were there around. with Chinese they came in wow. with food and and you know, we all obviously greeted each other and hugged and cried and did all that. But then we settled in and we started reminiscing and telling funny stories and we did a lot of laughing. And 
I don't know how Neil and I would have gotten through that first night if they hadn't been wow, there for us. Wow, that's incredible. The, the power of family, love. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. Again, the mental stuff is so powerful. It's more powerful than the physical. It is. Like you said, the hope. Right. If you have hope, you have a chance. Exactly. Exactly. And I always tell, like, like I told the woman yesterday, I tell them it sounds hokey, you know, but positive thinking is the beginning, and that's really what being positive will get you through this. Yeah. And yeah. the people who aren't, will will give up. Yeah, yeah. that's what and, it comes. And down. there's no reason to give up. There is no reason to give up. And and something if for for your audience, you know, the, the numbers with regard to percentage of survivors of pancreatic cancer are pretty dire. But you have to ignore those numbers because, for one thing, those numbers include people who have other kind of cancer, people who are already sick, people who um, smoked, people who have diabetes, people who don't have access to good health care, people who don't have health insurance. So when you consider all that, if you've got more than, than those things, you know, if you've got some or all of those things, your numbers are pretty good. Right, yeah. right. So forget the numbers. Forget the numbers. And, and forget I, the 5% or whatever they And maybe, this is, exactly. maybe this is unique to us, but I... I asked Connie to never look, do any research or anything, and she did it, you know. And she did not do any research or look at anything. She left it to me, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, so you know she did the work, and I did the research. Well, you know, it's really scary if you start reading, and you get those numbers in your head, and it's hard to it's hard to shake that, you know, and it's hard to remain positive and. For some reason, I did, you know, have the presence of mind to heed Neil's advice and not start reading about it. I left that all up to him. And he was a phenomenal researcher. He had a steep learning curve, and I honestly, I owe my life to him. Wow. So 2014, you end up going to this hospital in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Is it the summertime when this helped? No, we went right, right away. away. Right we away. went we right went away. Within a week. Within, oh, it's, it's within a week. Okay. So okay. And, a, and what they confirmed from an oncology standpoint, because that's where we had to go first, to chemo, was what the doctors in Cleveland were recommending too. And so we had terrific oncologists. The ones in Cleveland and the ones in Baltimore spoke to each other and had a great relationship and it helped us a lot. And she, we chose to do the toughest chemo. They give, another thing is in, in this, you think that they're always going to be recommending things to you. This is a pretty inexact science. They don't know what's gonna work. Okay. And so they, a lot of it's in your hands, mm -hmm. and so you, that's why you need to research it and know what the uh, pluses and minuses are. So we were given a choice of two different kinds of chemo. One was newer, not as caustic. Another was an older form and much more caustic, and most people don't get through more than four or five uh, treatments, but th about, they had about a 10 or 15% chance of working on some people better. Than, than the alternative. So we chose the bad one. I just figured, you know, listen, a 10% chance better is pretty important at this stage. I sure. Mean, I, I, this was not a time for half measures, right? When they're telling you you have less than a year to live. Right. I was like, I'm going to give it the best shot. You know? No doubt. So we went for the, the tougher of the two options. Um, <laughs> and it was tough. I'm not going to lie. What know? is that process like? So it was three different kinds of chemo. It was a cocktail of three chemos. Um, it, I would get it every other week. It would take about six hours to infuse. So it's a long day at the wow. hospital. Um, and then I would go home with some chemo in a pump that would continue to infuse the third kind over the next 46 hours. And then I would go back two days later and have this pump removed. So by the end of those you know, two days, 
you're pretty wiped out. Sure, um, <laughs> sure, of course. You know, you're fatigued, you're maybe a little nauseous, you're feeling some of those side effects. Um, and this is going on for how long? I had 12 treatments, so I did it for six months. But we figured things out by the end of the, by the beginning of the third treatment. Okay. All right, so, I mean, the, but we, for one thing, we, uh, the gym where I work out, the gentleman who owns that gym had done some work with children who were being treated with chemo mm -hmm. in a study. Mm -hmm. And he, he just came to me right away and said, I'm coming to your house every day and I'm going to do the things that I did with those kids because it worked. And uh, he came to the hospital when she was getting chemo and did these stretching exercises that he developed and shaking to get blood flowing. I mean, we, we said to the doctors at the hospital, I'm bringing this guy in and he's going to work out with her during the chemo treatment. And they were like, what? <laughs> I go, no, he's coming in. We're going to have a yoga mat, and he's going to come in here and, and do this. Really? I was she the only people chemo. who showed up for my this chemo treatment. This is in Baltimore. Treatment. Here. Oh, this, this is, is back here now. Yeah. I would bring my yoga mat to my chemo treatments. We got some sideways glances, but... Uh, we still do it. We, yeah, yeah, I mean, so... Yeah. so um, so he you, did, you did anything that it, it, there was nothing off limits with what no. you guys were going to try to do to right. make this. And so thing we have work. videos online of that for other people to look at to to be able to use that. Okay. So yeah, we uh, send those to people. All the time. And then uh, I got someone to make very nutritious small meals because she wouldn't eat. So I hired someone who made some really great, very small nutritious meals for her to eat until we figured out how to get her to eat. And here's the other thing that was critical to all your listeners to anyone who's getting chemo treatment, across the board, go see a palliative care doctor. No one tells you that. <laughs> Oncologists are good at treating side effects. They're not experts. What is a palliative care? So a palliative care doctor is someone who does comfort care. And a lot of people think it's end of life, because they do do a lot of end of life treatment for people when they've, you know, they're not gonna have any more medical intervention, but they wanna be comfortable. So palliative care is comfort care. And it's a little scary because people think, oh, that's what you do the last six months of your life. But uh. it's more than that. They can do comfort care and help you with the side effects of chemo at the same time. And, and people who we recommend to do that are very reticent to do it. And I just hammered them over the head. We, there is a, uh, uh, someone we were referred to I, who was originally from Cleveland who's a cardiologist, doesn't live in Cleveland, was diagnosed. His friend called me, I called him. And I talked to him and gave him hope because he had just been diagnosed. And I'm not a physician. He's a physician, do you think? But so right. he and gave him hope. And I said, go see a palliative care doctor. I'm going to call you back. I could tell he wasn't going to do it. Uh -huh. I'm going to yeah. call you back in a week. Call him back in a week. Did you do it? No. And he ultimately did do it. And it makes the difference in the world. Connie was down to 97 pounds. She wasn't eating. She looked like I would imagine her looking if she died during the chemo, first two chemo treatments. Wouldn't get out of bed for four or five days. And, and, the, we, and I read somewhere, palliative care doctors are good at this. We go see the palliative care doctor, he spends an hour and a half with us. And he, and he said, what are you taking for, for, uh, to, to improve your, your uh, appetite? And, and she told him, and he said, well, no, there's something else. We've learned that a antipsychotic medication if you take a very small dose of it, it's called Zyprexa, it really improves your appetite. And she went from 97 pounds to 130 pounds. And wow. she, you need to gain weight to have surgery on your pancreas because you're going to lose weight. She was eating things off my plate. 
<laughs> true. I mean, it's that true. guy that guy saved saved her life, and, yeah. and you know, he really did. He also there were things like t- vitamin B, uh, American ginseng. Four th- he said four thousand milligrams a day improves your energy. Direct ten minutes of direct sunlight in your eyes every day. Don't wear sunglasses outside. Get sunlight. Well, this was in the winter, so I bought one of those lights. Wow. And, and that, that was to help with Simple depression. Things. I mean, people with it's the little things that most people don't want to even. Yeah, that's the with. best advice I can give anybody who's who's taking chemo. Mm-hmm. So this went on for a few months. Yeah. In the winter of 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it went on till the summer. It I went mean, on till the su- till the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're now you're you're doing all these things and you're seeing that you're becoming a little bit more vibrant again yes. and. You're feeling a little bit better slowly, and mm-hmm. and all these different things are, are seeming to work. So take us through what happens in that in that through that summer. So um, I did my chemo through July, and then um, I had radiation. So this was at Johns Hopkins. I had um, I was part of a trial for stereotactic radiation, which is only five days of radiation instead of five weeks, and it targets the tumor. So the theory is that it targets the cancer cells and doesn't kill as many of your healthy cells therefore you don't get as many bad side effects it's supposed to be you know more effective and um, it was I mean we I <laughs> it's five days and my days happen to be Thursday Friday then we had the weekend off and Monday Tuesday Wednesday and we ended up going to the Chesapeake Bay for the weekend and had a really nice weekend we went on a sailboat we we called it our radiation vacation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, again, uh, it's all about that positive. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Positive yeah. The chemo didn't start working, so we got a CT scan after four treatments. Okay. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. And the CT scan showed very, very little change. Now, I've, as I said before, a lot of people don't only get to about four treatments with this chemo, and then their white blood cell count drops so low, they get hospitalized and they can't take it anymore. And uh, that never happened to her, partly because of the exercise program that that uh, that, uh, the, that you uh, brought in with you. That we brought in because that was the finding he had when he had the kids, uh, when he was doing uh, the exercise physiology with the kids. They were that that study was uh, only to determine if the kids can handle the chemo better. But coincidentally, their white blood cell counts were all higher than the. The, uh, Has there been any published reports on this that nobody talks about this no. kind of stuff? Nobody really talks about it, and it's another thing I always advise people to do is to continue to exercise. And you're tired, and you're fatigued, and you don't feel like it, but I think it made such a difference in, well, in the outcome. Obviously, I'm still here. Right, <laughs> And right. Um, it increases the circulation. I think it gets the chemo to where it needs to be, it does what it has to do, and then you circulate, you keep moving, and it, you get it out of your system. And coincidentally, uh, this was uh, probably a, uh, six months after successful surgery. We did, were having a conversation with our oncologist here, and he said, you know, one of the reasons that it's so difficult to treat pancreatic cancer with chemotherapy is because the pancreas doesn't have very good circulation. And that's exactly what the, the Fit the trainer was doing with us. He was saying, "This is going to improve your your circulation." The really? other thing that the exercise does is improves your appetite. Yeah. Well, that's you, true. You know, that's you're burning point. some calories. Yeah. You get a little hungry, and it's all important. Yeah. So you're feeling better throughout the year as the year's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fall, winter, you're just keeping up. Are you doing something different, or do you? 
keep up the same lifestyle. Well, we didn't, we didn't get uh, positive results on the chemotherapy until between uh, the fourth and eighth treatment, eighth treatment. So if we hadn't gotten to the past four, her tumor wouldn't have shrunk. Right. Between four and eight, it shrunk to put her in the, in to become a candidate for surgery, and we knew it was working. Wow. And we laid the stereotactic radiation on top of that, and she became a surgical candidate in, in the end of September. September of 2014, I had surgery. And that was at where? That was at Johns Hopkins. Hopkins. Johns Hopkins. And Mm -hmm. that's in Baltimore? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And talk, I've heard that those guys were absolutely incredible for you. They were amazing. They were, the surgeon was unbelievable, very skilled, very experienced. And I think that's important for this kind of surgery. It's a tricky surgery. And... I think you want to go to some place that has high volume. Mm-hmm. They've, you know, he wasn't going to see anything. That These are the guys that before. saw thousands. Did the thousands. Yeah, this guy had done almost three thousand. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was a beast. He's, <laughs> I, he's, I think he's retired now, but he has a partner who's just as skilled. But this guy was seventy-eight years old. Oh wow! And so I'm, I'm in the uh, pre-op room, and the, the nurse is there, the surgical nurse, and I said, "Well, he's, he's not going to open and close, right? I mean, and you know, he's, he's not in there the whole time, right?" She goes. He's in there the whole time, standing there, and the, so this surgery is six to nine hours. Wow! And then the guy, so then she's in recovery, and I'm sleeping in recovery, and the nurse in recovery comes in and says, "I got to get her out of bed right now. This was at four in the morning because Dr. Cameron's going to be in here at five, and if I don't have her up, I'm in big trouble." So this <laughs> guy's back at the hospital. He's back right away. Yeah. He's a beast. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you had the surgery. End so of I had September. the surgery at the end of September, and it was successful, and. You know, lo and behold, they opened me up, and my tumor was tiny. It was like the size, what they say, like the size of a grape, and it was completely off my artery, and I oh, remember wow. really, really lucky. That had to be just one of those moments. It that was, was <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable. Probably one of the best days of your life, I would yeah. imagine. Oh, like, yeah. and, and, and it turned out she didn't need what was called a complete Whipple, which is a, a big re-plumbing job. And it, which is interesting because you think with all the technology and the CT scans and stuff, they know what they're gonna when they get in there. It's gonna be exactly what they expected. It's not. Mm-hmm. He, they got in there. They thought this tumor was in the in the middle of her, in the head, in the middle of her pancreas, and in reality, it was closer to the middle. And they didn't. She didn't have to have the complete plumbing job. She had a partial Whipple. Mm-hmm. And a Whipple is just the 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 actual procedure itself, yeah. right? For yeah, it's the name of the surgery. Yeah. So, yeah. so that the the tumor is the size of a grape. Mm-hmm. How big was it when it was at its big largest? I think it was did you like know? Four by four centimeters. Four, four, four. four by eight centimeters, which you know would be the size of four grapes. Okay, so it came down at least a quarter, like twenty percent. Something mean, 20% else. Twenty percent of what it was. Yeah, exactly. Of what Something it was. else I think is important for your audience to know if they're listening and and they know someone with pancreatic cancer or they have pancreatic cancer is that tumor, just the shrinking of the tumor, isn't an indication of how things are going. Her tumor, if there's still tumor left and it hasn't completely shrunk, it's most of the time it's fibrous material and it's not cancerous. So I got hooked on what size is the tumor, what size is the tumor, and it stopped shrinking, but the rest of it wasn't cancerous. It was just fibrous material. Mm. You went into, I mean, you became an expert, Neil, right? You have to be. You became an expert it, it, in this It improves your chances enormously. So for people that are going through it, uh, get the same diagnosis, the grim diagnosis that you got, Connie, back mm-hmm. in January 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of shed light onto a little bit, but what is the best place? Is it just Googling, or do you have specific places for people to go now if they want to do some research online? Well, we had good luck, you know, obviously, um, with the surgeon at Johns Hopkins, so we like to recommend that, but 
there are certainly many, many, many skilled surgeons throughout the country mm-hmm. who can do this surgery. And I don't want people to think that they have to get to Johns Hopkins or they're not going to be successful. Um, but you definitely, I think I would recommend looking for a surgeon who has a lot of experience. Like I said, a high volume facility high volume. is important. Okay. It really improves outcomes. Yeah, because the reality is the chemotherapy is going to be about the same. There are two choices, basically, and a few versions of that. So oncology can be done most any competent hospital. Okay. Surgical, that's a whole different story. Another resource that's really great. Oh, yes. is the And I got a lot of information from them. Yeah, we're big supporters of the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, and uh, they're a nonprofit organization that has uh, patient services, advocacy, um, research, research uh, for all surrounding pancreatic cancer. Analyze your tumor. Yeah, that's something they, else. They yeah. can recommend. They have a trial database. So if you're looking for a trial for which you might be a candidate. Wow. They can plug it into their database and tell you. And you know what? We'll link some of this up in the show yeah. notes on this That'd podcast. Be great. That'd and be we, great. we learned about them because the multidisciplinary clinic at Johns Hopkins handed us their packet that had a book on everything caregiver, chemo, radiation, pain. Oh, it was the diet. best. It was in yeah. diet. It was incredible. Um, and one other thing I want to mention that no one told us is that when they did the surgery, they keep. They keep a, they keep the tumors. I mean, the tumors are on ice, all really? forever. Wow. Okay, and uh, and you, you should have, and this is more prevalent now than it was four years ago. Should have the tumor genomically pre-profiled, so you know what works and what doesn't. So you know what your gene mutations are. So that leads to another thing. I, I told you at the beginning that I was, you know, I didn't seem like I was a candidate for this. I had a healthy lifestyle. Um, but I did have I did have a family history. I had a grandfather who had pancreatic cancer quite late in life, um, so that was my one risk factor. So we did have my tumor tested, and it turned out that I have a genetic mutation, which predisposes me to oh. some cancers. So you know, I, I always think that knowledge is power, mm-hmm. and um, it's you know, it's like gosh, that means I could get other kinds of cancers too, but. Um, it explained because I it was sort of enlightening to me because it gave me an explanation as to why this happened to me. Right. And um, it also allowed me to become um, a high surveillance patient. They keep a very close eye on me now. Yeah, and another thing that comes to mind too would be somebody that were to find out that they were predisposed, maybe a little bit more mindful even when the back is hurting in the car for two years exactly. and those yeah. kind of things right. that you think are just yeah, silly, just, right, right. but if you know that you've got a predisposition and maybe you're more susceptible to these right. kind of things, right. it might make you get tested early. And, and, well, yeah, had I known the, that, I may have been right. diagnosed earlier. And that's a blood test. That's just a blood test. It's a simple blood test. That's exactly. all it is. Yes. You yes. can get that done at just your normal you, doctor. Yeah, and a just, genetic counselor will, will order that for you. So there, there's a controversy around that. The controversy isn't that you should do it or that it's not good or not good. Controversy is... You're going to become, for instance, rated for disability insurance, for life insurance, because you're suddenly going to be a risk. Not not health insurance, because they can't, at least for now. But but uh, so that's an issue. So, and our kids needed to be tested then, because it's genetic can be passed to the next generation. And uh, right, right. I, I, you know, so you need to think of those you things. Think about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the it's those proactive things that we don't we're not taught to do those. Right. You're only taught to go get tested when something hurts or right. when something doesn't feel right. 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 How about just getting tested just in case? 
just, yeah. just to see, right? <laughs> right, right. So they remove the tumor, mm-hmm. and you're at that point. I mean, is are you considered cancer free? What 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 is that like? They did say I was cancer free, yeah. um, which is a miracle. I mean, they gave you those guys gave you twelve months to live. Right. Nine right. months later, your tumor is the size of a grape, and it was That's removed from your body, right. and now you're cancer free. Right. That's yeah. crazy. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> Yeah. That's really that's it really something crazy. because if you let another person, another human being's advice, such as that doctor in January, mm-hmm. and you just listen to them, you just fig- some people are just going to crumble and just let it let it happen. Never take no for an answer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What what kind of worries me and upsets me is how many people have gotten that advice since I got that advice and did go home and die. Um, because not everybody, well, not everybody has a needle in their corner like I had, mm-hmm. who was a great advocate and researcher, and you know, like he said, he put those wrestling skills to work and wasn't going to take no for an answer. Um, but you know, I, I hope that maybe people will hear this and realize that uh, you need to continue to fight and continue to ask questions and get more answers. Right. So uh, 2014, the, you finished the year, mm-hmm. and you're back to like, you know, I remember we saw you throughout mm-hmm. the process, and, mm-hmm. and we heard the same stuff from, I heard it from my folks, and right. talking to you guys, and some of our mutual friends of the community, mm-hmm. and how you were given this, this diagnosis, and then all of a sudden you just crushed it <laughs> you crushed it and you were back to normal uh, right. going into 2015 a year later when you weren't supposed to be here anymore right it was gone right and it you were gone. back back yeah. back yeah. at it yeah um and so the how the last couple of years have there been what what's that process like are there treatments or are there things like that proactively how does that work um you become uh you get continue to get cat scans at first every three months and then i think you move to every six months if your if cat scans remain clean. Um, so they keep a pretty close watch on you for the first five years. Um, and that's what we did for a long time. And in that time, we, you know, we did a lot of living. You know, <laughs> we took vacations, we, you know, we went to weddings, we went to graduations, we, you know. <laughs> what, what, what did that do for you guys, mentally and emotionally? After going through that and then surviving it, does what does it it's change it? Well, it's brutal. But when it, what's your outlook on life? It changes your point? perspective on life. Nothing, none of, none, no little things are, are important anymore. You know, it's just you appreciate every day, and all the little problems are not problems at all. You know, I, I have a common statement when somebody, maybe it's at work or where elsewhere, has a big problem or comes to me with a big problem, and it's something that's could be a problem for me I just go it's not pancreatic cancer that's it <laughs> yeah. you know so anything else we can deal with anything else yeah it must just change your whole outlook on life yeah. and it then does. you guys you guys are going we're going to just go live we're going right. to go live for a few like right. as long as we can right because right. every day is a blessing every day is a blessing and you know I, I think any cancer survivor will tell you that and it sounds maybe a little trite you know live every day enjoy every day and but it's so true and you know even the even the ordinary days um i can remember like you know when i was recovered from the surgery and feeling you know feeling pretty normal again and and i would think you know okay why am i not waking up singing every day i should be so thrilled every day that i'm alive and i am you know grateful and and very happy to be alive but there are you know life is life and it's like the, the mundane things creep in sure. and like you know oh, the dog's just trapped in mud right. and, you know got laundry <laughs> all those to little do. things what again. are we gonna have yeah. for dinner you know all those little things yeah. and I kind of realized one day I, I don't know I just had a epiphany I was like you know what 
that's living. That's being alive. That is, yeah. That's a beautiful point. <laughs> I think that when we just talked about this not long ago, and it sounds really strange and strange to say, but I think that the cancer, we got the gift of cancer in order to be able to help save other people's lives. And we've saved other people's lives. I mean, I got a text today from somebody who was told, you have three months to live. This is in Youngstown. Surgeon told him three months to live. He knew somebody who knew me. I've still not even met this guy. And, and it was his father, actually. And his father's now, his father went to see our oncologist in Cleveland, and our oncologist in Cleveland and went, no, you're, you're not going to die anytime soon. And the son who called me, they're having a baby here in the next few weeks. This father thought he wasn't going to see that. Oh, my gosh. That's a gift. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah. That's really powerful. How many people do you think you've talked to over the years? Oh, my Hundreds and, or thousands of people? No, not thousands. Uh, but hundreds of people. Dozens of yeah, yeah. 50 to 100 people. Yeah. Okay. Between the two of us. Yeah. yeah. And, and they're all people that have been diagnosed. Mo yes. Mm -hmm. Most of them I don't, I don't even know. I, can, I told Connie I got a communication from, I didn't even remember. This guy survived and sent me an email and was like, I don't even remember talking to this guy. How, how do people contact you if they haven't met you? Is it just through email? So, no, I always talk to them on the phone. Or on the phone, but, yeah. but somebody who knows them contacts me and says, have you talked to this person? Uh, and I'm like, of course, go, of course I'll talk to them. I'll drop everything right now. Nothing's important. I'll drop everything right now and talk to them. If somebody that's going through this or if a loved one of theirs is going through this and they want to call you or reach out to you guys, what's the best way to get, like an email address, what's the best way to reach yeah, you? Email, my email address. And you'll publish this too, we'll, right? We'll put this N out. Waxman, W-A-X-M-A-N, at CapitalAdvisorsLTD.com. Okay. C-A-P-I-T-A-L-A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S-L-T-D.com. <laughs> yeah, we'll link all put that on there. for I'm sure. At, you know. For sure. Because I, I, I hope, I hope that you do. I hope that there's someone listening or that knows somebody that goes, man, you might be able to be helped or saved uh, right. by these right. by these amazing people. Yeah. So uh, the years, life became totally different over yeah. the last few years. Yeah. You, I, you, you know, appreciate, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was yeah. just gonna say, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I often think that cancer comes with some strange blessings, <laughs> as odd as that sounds. And one of them is the support you get from your community and your friends and your family. It's yeah. it's so amazingly <laughs> heartwarming and important, and um, I can't thank people enough for who were there for me. Some of people who are very close to you. Yeah, your parents are at the top of the list, by the way. <laughs> but I mean, we have prayers from all around the world. Oh yeah, and and that's how people found out about her diagnosis because in churches or in synagogues, her name was read. Was being read. Yeah. Really? Yeah, for yeah. Misha Bayrock or for in Catholic churches, and that's how people found out. Yeah. Wow. And we we're, were being prayed, we're being prayed for around the world in that's every religion. That's powerful. That is yeah. so powerful. But it, you don't realize, um, I, I, I mean, I don't want to sound conceited, but you realize how much people love you. <laughs> sure. And you don't, you know, when you go through life, you know, you have your friends, you, you know, things are good, but when something this serious happens and your friends rally, you really feel so supported and so loved. And that's what I call one of cancer's strange blessings. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of silver linings, yep. I imagine, yep. throughout the whole yep. process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. By the way, that's one of the key components to get you through this. Family, friend support, spirit, spiritual, uh, medical. You know, right. it's just uh, those, are the, those are the key components to get you through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, what happened over the last, I don't know how long it's been, but when you've you got some grim news again, right? I did, yeah. So 
one of those CAT scans, I told you I was still having CAT scans regularly, showed a spot on my lung. Um, and they, they weren't too worried about it. Um, pancreatic cancer normally metastasizes to the liver, not the lung. So that First. was a little unusual. Mm -hmm. um, so they watched it for about six months, and it started getting a little bit bigger. And, and this is when? When was this? When they when you first saw the spot? <laughs> January of, of 16. Yeah, January of okay. 16. Okay, so just over two years now, two and a half mm -hmm. years ago. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, so I had another surgery. I had a lobectomy, which they remove, which is when they remove the lobe, one of the lobes of your lung. And that was the lower left lobe of my left lung, obviously. And this was a, they deemed this was a product of the pancreatic cancer? Absolutely. The lung, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's an abnormal place for it to go, but it can go, obviously. It's not abnormal for it to go there, but it's abnormal for it to go there first. It normally goes to the liver first, then it gets there. Okay. And it can get anywhere. It's in the blood. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I had the surgery. Um, um, you know, it wasn't nearly as serious as the original surgery I had, but still I lost the lobe of my lung. <laughs> right. So it took a little bit of recovery. I was a little shortness, had some shortness of breath for a while, but... But the human body is amazing, and so your other lung actually, the the rest of that lung actually expands, and your right lung expands and fills up, and and I got to the point where I wasn't even aware of it wow. anymore. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. what do they say about that? Is it you've been doing the same recovery process? It's back to the chemo. The, the, so I had to go. I had to go on some chemo again. This time it was the other kind of chemo, the one we didn't use the first time. Um, and that was really kind of just, they said they wanted, just in case there were any floater cells out there, they wanted to try to attack anything that might be there that's you know, that's microscopic, that's not showing up on a scan. Mm -hmm. So I did that for five months maybe. And it was actually not that bad. It was a pretty, I called it chemo light, at least compared to the stuff I was on the first time. Okay. It wasn't uh, nearly as hard on me physically. Um, and It kept things at bay while she was on that. And when she came off that, her numbers rose again. And then they saw other spots on her lungs. So this was in December. They went in and looked at uh, and went in to remove the spots. And they saw that the cancer had metastasized to the pleura of the lungs, which is the lining outside the lungs. There's not, they're not tumors. It's more uh, in the fluid. And uh, so there's no surgical answer for that. It's only a systemic answer for that. Now, we had something in our back pocket that I read about the week be in the first week of her diagnosis. And it was an immunology drug that, was a, that a trial was being run on at Baltimore. And when we went to Baltimore, I had six or seven notes written down. And one of them was, Dr. Leheru, study with immunology drug. And who walks in to be our oncologist is that guy. And he was doing a study with this. And I said, can she get on this? He goes, he said, no, she, it's only pe for people who are receptible, surgical candidates. Then by the time she got to be a surgical candidate, then the trial had closed. But ultimately, he got that drug, it was successful on 75% of the people with her gene mutation. The gene mutation we determined by having the slice of her tumor mm -hmm. sent away that we did privately. It wasn't, uh, you know, the hospital didn't do it. And, uh, and it was approved in May of this of the last year. And so in December, she was a candidate for that and went on that. And this was in December of 17 at this yes. point? Yes, yes. And, wow. and so that drug 
kept things kind of at bay. Her numbers were rising a bit, but the, I had read the study that our oncologist in Baltimore did, and it said t the average time to response was 21 weeks. And her numbers started rising near the end, uh, near the near when, in, in, in April. And they, both oncologists wanted to take her off it, said it wasn't working. And I went, hey, you know, it said 21 weeks. And they were said, well, we're afraid it's getting west. So let's, let's, we're going to stand off for another one or two treatments. And ultimately, her numbers dropped. And we went, yay, this is going to work, you know, like it should, like, it, like science says it should. And then her numbers skyrocketed again. And so, we, she, and she was also uh, having some bowel issues. This is an immunology drug. It, attacks, it can attack organs. So that's the side effect. Uh -huh. And it was attacking her, her colon. Uh, okay. And so I gave up on, the, on that for that reason. I also believe, and the doctors haven't, you know, they've sort of poo-pooed it, but I'm, I've read it, that that, that drug causes the uh, colon to be irritated, inflamed, and it can give you false positives on the blood marker test because the blood marker tests for cancer are inflammation uh, tests. If you have inflammation someplace else in your body, then you can get a false read. And her and by the way, when she stopped that drug, her numbers came back down. So, uh, but where we are right now is I believe that drug worked and maybe will continue to work and made those cells weaker. And because those cells are weaker, this chemo will get after it more. You know, the Im immunology is the newest thing. And if it works, it's tremendous because what it does is you have T cells in your body that attack anything that's foreign. All right, if you're sick. Cancer cells tell those T cells, no, you don't, don't attack us. These immunology drugs are called checkpoint inhibitors. They shut that off and your own body can attack the cancer and, and get that's rid of it. That's amazing. It is amazing. So that's the human bodies. That's the newest part of, and brilliant, of uh, treatment. Brilliant researchers who figure that out. And right behind that is, is uh, uh, where they extract cells from your body, supercharge them, put them back in and attack your, attacks the cancer. There was a woman at the National Institute of Health who, who got rid of her breast cancer that way. And the next thing after that is nanotechnology, where they're going to take nanobots, put the chemo in it, and it's going to go right to the tumors. This isn't fascinating stuff. <laughs> I mean, so every day for you guys at this point is just another potential uh, something new, yeah. something unknown, trial and error. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of where you're mm -hmm. at at this point. Yeah, so because I had to come off that immunotherapy drug, I am back on chemo right now. I've had uh, two treatments. Two, two treatments. Um, so I'm back on the stuff I was on back in 2014. Um, but I will say because we sort of had knew what worked for me last time, we knew to start out with all that stuff, and I've been handling it much better. I've not been sick. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I'm not so you sick. feel like you this is you're in a better place than you were back and forth. We figured it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. We figured it yeah. out. And, 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 you know, you have to have, this is, you have to have some, you always have to have something behind whatever you're doing now. <laughs> and so we, you know, tr trials are the next thing. And we have two sources where I can immediately go with her gene type, MS, MSH6, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they'll search the trials immediately and find out which ones apply to her. And that's what we'll do next if this doesn't work. You guys are but amazing. we think, but we think it will. You guys are amazing. Let me tell you, when when we found out that the immunology drug wouldn't work, because we thought that was the silver bullet, and I couldn't wait to get to it, and we found it couldn't work, 
it was a punch in the gut, which you get through this process, through the, even through the four years. It was a punch in the gut, and it takes you to the mat for a few days. We had, it took us a while to come to get picked back up and get our energy back. Mm-hmm. It I happens; imagine. it's natural. Yeah, but I, we have, and we're going to beat it. That's you guys are incredible people. Um, very, very inspirational. And we've talked about we talked about it a little bit um, earlier about this the positive mindset and. You know, we've obviously covered all this physical stuff that you've gone through and mm-hmm. the different ways to, to attack and address it. Uh, back to the mental and emotional stuff, if you could shed some light, because I'd imagine that the, the just the fear alone, like on a daily basis, mm-hmm. could be so overwhelming. I know how, I, I could only imagine how I would feel. Mm-hmm. Talk about it a little bit, if you guys could, about the mental process of fighting the fear, what are the fears that you may have, and, and how do you how do you deal with it? Yeah, well, the, obviously, for the fear for me is the fear of dying. Or, you know, it's actually, it wasn't, not so much the fear of death, it's more the, the process of dying that scared me. Um, and, you know, that you, know, you want to live to see your kids, you know, and you your grandchildren. We don't have grandchildren, and I want to live to see grandchildren. And, you know, um, so there's a lot of fear of sadness about things you might miss that you don't want to miss. <laughs> um, and I, you know, for some reason, and I don't, I can't really explain it. I, I think I'm an optimistic person by nature. Um, I didn't dwell on that for very long. I mean, I'm not saying I didn't have my moments and I had, you know, days where I was very sad and crying and down. But for the most part, I just, um, I don't know how I did it, but I pushed that out of my mind and I focused on the positive. Well, one big part of it is if you're really sick from the chemo, it's hard to be positive and think you're going to live. So if you can get around that and feel okay, then yeah. it's a heck of a lot easier yeah. to, to face every day. Sure. Uh, yeah. Once it, we incorporated all those you know, alternative modalities and I started to feel better physically, you feel better mentally. Yeah, because <laughs> you know that, well, if you, there's a little glimmer of, of hope, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and the, light, the light shines a little bit brighter when you're feeling better. And, so. exactly. and Nate, you know, it, I know exactly how you feel because I felt that way when I see other people right. in that in those circumstances, but you don't know what you can do until you do it. You don't know, and uh, and so you know we and you and you look your coping skills kick up. Some of yeah. it's denial, you know. So yeah. some of it's denial, just you know, and and, and then it's, you know, and then you you go forward. I mean, I to me for me, she's it, it was she's way tougher than I am. So to handle the chemo, and I look at it and go, oh, I, you know. And and I'm the right guy to, to lead the charge on everything else. That's what I'm. I have big shoulders. I was built for controversy and and challenges. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just am. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and oh, so yeah. that's we're a good team. You guys yeah. are. You guys are. It's it's. You need that partner to do it. You need that strong. You need to be. If you're going through it, you need to be strong first of all. If right. it's if it's happening to you, because mm-hmm. if you don't, it doesn't matter who's in your team. Yeah. You're gonna. Yeah. You know. And then on top of that, you need that partner or somebody in your life that's going to be like like Neil absolutely you need that person absolutely. in order for this to really be successful right I feel like I got a, I had a lot of uh, a lot of warriors on my team fighting for me no <laughs> rooting doubt. for me and yeah. your kids and oh, totally. family yeah. and friends and 
Absolutely. We yeah. had some friend, your, your, your mom and dad, yeah. who was just amazingly supportive. Another friend of Connie's who was just there almost every day, uh, taking her, making her go out for walks and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And just working out. And with I assume just like everyone, you know, you're human, only human at the end of the day. I assume there's waves of emotions at times. Sure. I'm sure, sure. there's sadness, and sometimes yeah. there's anger, maybe, or sure. resentment towards yeah. why me, that kind of thing. And, yeah. And then you yeah. all realize, like, you need to be, what can you do, right? You know, I think I realize this is, you know, this is a battle I, I have no no option but to fight. Right. I have to fight this battle. And, you know, you do have this, I'm not saying I never felt like, why is this happening to me? I did. But I realized pretty quickly there's, there's no good comes from that, you know. Mm-hmm. That's just negative. You need your energy to and fight. You yeah, can't, don't you, waste yeah. it on anxiety. So I didn't, I didn't, I was never really, woe is me, why did this happen to me? I just sort of went into the fight mode <laughs> and just figured, you know, I have to beat this. Yeah, and here you are four and a half years later. Exactly. Yeah. That's not to yeah. say, we're realistic optimists, that's what we are. That's not to say we don't think about what the, what can be. Right. You know, Connie thinks about what would be like, you know, to, to, to die from this. I think about what it would be like to be, go home and nobody's there. To go, and I think about it at every event we go to. Well, I'll think about it at your brother's wedding. What would this be like? I mean, I have to come to this by myself. You know, that kind of thing. But that doesn't. So that people should know, it's normal to feel those things. Right. 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 You know, it's okay. We're human. It's We're okay. Human We're human. At the end. We're human. Uh, so, what is what is uh, what does the next year look like for you at this point? Well, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to be on this chemo. We don't really know for how long. They're going to sort of base it on my blood marker number, the, the CA199 that Neil mentioned earlier. Hopefully that marker number is going to come down, which it did the last time we tested it. It dropped dramatically. So that gives us a little bit of optimism. Um, and they they haven't really said, you know, how long I'll be on this. It just sort of depends on... We're going to be on it until it, 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 exactly. it, yeah. exactly. it works or it doesn't work. it works or it doesn't work. And you guys are going to just keep fighting this until, yes. the, until the end. And God willing, there's 30 years ahead, 40, whatever the number there's is. There's no value in God thinking willing. anything else. Yeah. And we don't have any reason right now to believe we're, there's no reason to believe we can't beat this. Right. Why, why can't we beat it, this? You, you did it when it was even harder. It uh, sounded well, like when, when I remember talking to a friend and going, you know, well, the numbers back then were 4% survival. You know, somebody lives a year, four, I, and I went, hey, 4% of the people can do it? Why can't we be in the 4%? We can be in that. Right. Somebody, as long as somebody survived it. Yeah, we can be there. It proves that somebody. It's, it's not a hundred percent. Yeah, it's not a hundred. You know, and you know, there's there's research happening every day. There are new new treatments happening every day. The, I'm happy to say the, the five year survival rate is now nine percent. Right, four percent when I was diagnosed. FDA's fast tracking cancer drugs like like crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So there's reason for optimism. And maybe there's great things that we don't even know about with the drugs that you were on already. That, that some of that trial that we don't know exactly, exactly. what it's going to do for the long term. Right. Right. Exactly. I gotta say, um, your your story is a, a, a story that is scary, and that could be sad. Um, is extremely inspirational with the way the two of you have handled it. And if you could touch one person from this episode, from this podcast, then I'm just thrilled that we were able to do this together and hear more about the details and how you handled it. Um, before we finish off, is there anything else that we didn't talk about, or is there any? Doctors or anyone else? No, something I wanted. I think you should mention what Ida, the the, the visioning stuff that she did. Oh my goodness! This, yes, because we did. This was this important. was really interesting. So, <laughs> your mother, bless her. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, I was thinking I was going in for my third treatment, and so you, 
you know, I said I went every other week, so I would have sort of a, a pretty bad week where I was pretty sick and pretty down and in bed and not feeling great. And then you'd have sort of a good week. You just kind of start to rally and you feel pretty good. And then you know, oh, I got to go in tomorrow and start this all again. So your mother said to me, you don't, don't think of that as chemo. You think of that as medicine. This is medicine that's going to save your life. And she said something that, that changed my attitude. She said, when that chemo starts going in, I want you to bless that chemo. And you bless the doctors who came up with it. And you bless the nurses who are, who are administering it. And you just say a blessing while it infuses. And you visualize that chemo going to that tumor and shrinking those cancer cells and saving your life. And that altered my attitude. Yep. Wow. Yeah. The power of visualization. Yes. And uh, the mentality. Yes. She's always good for those. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. I'll tell you, she's when you need a little warmth or a different way to look at it or a helping hand, she yeah. is she is she's as fabulous. good as it gets. There's she's, she's really something when it comes to that. So <laughs> to say I mean, the least. See, yeah, to say but the least. I, I've I've experienced quite I'm a few sure of those over have, my I'm lifetime. Sure you have, yeah. So but that flipped something, you know, it flipped something and, in my attitude. And then, and then, and you actually were doing that as I you were going that, through that. I did that, and then that. from then on, I started feeling it's better. It's medicine. Wow. <laughs> so, That's the power of the mind. I don't think any of us truly know what that is. Exactly. No way. We don't know right. how much that you're here four and a half years later. Right. How much was it because of the mind? You don't. You'll never know. Right. You only know that you're here. Right. And that you had a positive attitude to get there. So it right. wasn't a coincidence. Right. Um, we'll link up everything in the show notes. Nothing but the best for you guys. Like I said, some of my favorite people in the world, and I'm just honored that you guys came to share the story. And uh, we'll come back again when the, when the cancer's gone, and oh, okay. we'll give another update to that everybody. And, we and those be kind here. Of things. Okay. Thanks. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for having Thanks. us. Thanks. The Optimal Life. And thank you for listening to a, another episode of The Optimal Life. Really appreciate the support. And uh, if you guys enjoy what you're listening to and enjoy what you're hearing, as always, please click subscribe and give us the five-star rating so we can continue to elevate the podcast within Apple Podcasts and everywhere else that the podcast is played and provided. And uh, leave us a comment. Leave us feedback. You could. Uh, we're always open to feedback, whether it's positive or negative. So uh, you know, we want to do whatever we can to improve the show. And if there's something that we're missing, then let us know. You could reach me also on Instagram at Nathan Haber. And uh, again, I know that you have a lot of listening options these days. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of people sharing different things. So if you are listening to this podcast and if you're a loyal listener to this podcast, from the bottom of my heart, I want to just say thank you. Uh, very grateful for that. And uh, we're going to continue providing you guys with the best content possible so that we can continue to live an optimal life and be our optimal and best selves. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks.